This Choircast podcast is brought to you by the book Drugs and Jesus by Josh Lawson. It's no secret that churches are stumbling in the dark when they look for ways to effectively serve people who use drugs. As the death toll of accidental drug overdose continues to rise across our country at an alarming rate, Christians are struggling to connect their faith with this urgent and holy work. Faith-based activists are attempting to bridge the gap, but so far, their message has been confined to socially progressive circles. Drugs and Jesus is the first book of its kind to pioneer a theological framework for people of faith, and especially evangelical Christians, to help them engage in the ministry of harm reduction. Drawing from my own groundbreaking efforts to equip faith communities at the epicenter of America's rural opioid crisis, Drugs and Jesus takes readers on a journey of theological and practical transformation that will help them learn how to better serve the most vulnerable members of their community, all without having to become experts in the field of addiction or theology. Drugs and Jesus releases from Choir Publishing on April the 11th. Don't miss it. Western Christianity has spent the last 2,000 years telling everyone they're separated from God. This is not church with John and Nat Turney. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back to the podcast. <laughs> what was that look for? I got, I got three words into it and John made a face. Was, it's just, it's just so your awesome. Matthew McConaughey. It makes me laugh. <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, this is the podcast, y'all. Welcome back. Uh, my name is Nat. I'm with my brother, John. Say, hey, 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 what up, what up, John? <laughs> hey, 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 what up, what up, John? I'm impressed. That's good. I, I, do you remember that game we used to play, that, that Simon Says game? Yeah. The little electronic one where you had to kind of like push yeah. the buttons and certain... That's what that's what we're playing here. <laughs> we're just playing the long version of it. But um, <laughs> I don't know. It, the the, uh, the silliness could just become uncontainable oh, yeah. at some point. So maybe we'll stop. But For sure. If you didn't already know, hopefully you know this. Uh, uh, sometimes it feels funny to say this because I'm, I'm figuring if you click the link that told you the name of the podcast, you, you don't really need me to tell you. But this is not true. You never know. So as we like to say, this is uh, this is the podcast. This is not church because if it was church, you would have left by now and you'd, <laughs> and you'd be right. Um, we would actually probably follow you out. But um, John and I are super um, excited and we're, uh, we're humbled and we're honored to have this next guest with us. Let me read you a little bit about, uh, and I, I should have checked and said, is it Terry Wildman or Wildman? Wildman. All right. <laughs> Terry Wildman. I, th- I figured as much. I just, you know, again, I want to assume. So Terry Wildman, born and raised in Michigan, is of the Ojibwe and Yaqui ancestry. Uh, Terry is an author, recording artist, songwriter, storyteller, and a public speaker. He's the lead translator and project manager of the First Nations Version New Testament, published by University Press, and the chief of Rain Ministries, a nonprofit organization based in Arizona. Terry has also been the spiritual I'm sorry, the Director of Spiritual Growth and Leadership Development with Native University since June of 2020. Uh, there's an awful lot more there, but I think it's just better if it comes from him. So uh, without any further ado, welcome to the podcast, Terry. Thanks thanks for coming. Hey, it's good to be here. Thanks for uh, bringing me in here and letting me talk to all your listeners out there that I can't see. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> all seven of them say hello. Um, oh, so come on, glad you're come here. On. Okay, fine. We're we have at nine. least twice that. <laughs> okay, we're up to 12. <laughs> no, actually, when, uh, when, when John first told me that, that uh, we actually had booked an interview, we were both just ecstatic. One of the, 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 the First Nations New Testament translation for both of us has just been amazing. Like we're just, this is, so to have somebody here connected with it as much as you are, um, lead translator is, I, I can't even tell you. So if we get a little gushy, you'll, you'll understand, I hope. But one of the things that John and I, and I'm sure you guys talked a little bit offline while you're waiting for me, I, I know that John and I have spoken often about, um, not having enough 
First Nations voices enough enough people represented. We we try very hard to reach out to people of color and people in different marginalized communities, and we have multiple times said, "Yeah, but that's one demographic we have just not heard enough from." So. For that reason alone, we're super excited that you're here. So um, anything in that intro that did not either ring true or um, maybe we need to expand on, I will turn it over to you just to introduce yourself a little bit. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I have Ojibwe and Yaki ancestry as well. I'll give you guys uh, an, an introduction, even though I don't speak the language, like 90% of our people don't. But um, I do, I have memorized an introduction, uh, a short one. Bujuniji, Bamarazig, Gitsianimiki, Manomashkiki Manadu, Indigo, Terry Wildman, Indishnakaz, Minuaya Gaye, Imanwaindamu, Ma Ayaya, Nungum. So what I said was, hello, my friends who share this life together with me. My Indian name, my spirit name is uh uh, which is voice of great thunder with a good medicine spirit. I was given that name by my mentors who helped me reconnect to, uh, my native ancestry, my culture, my people that from that, from that perspective. And, uh, I said, my name is, uh, also Terry Wildman. Uh, I was born and raised in Michigan. My ancestry includes Ojibwe from Ontario, Canada, uh, Yaki from Sonora, Mexico, as well as English, German, Spaniard. So I'm married to Darlene Wildman. I have five children, eight grandchildren, three great-grandchildren, and my wife and I currently live in Maricopa, Arizona, on the traditional lands of the Pima and the Tohono O'odham. So that's just a little bit of an introduction there. And... Uh, and the Ojibwe language is a beautiful language. I try to learn uh, new words as much as possible, but uh, it's in many of our people are trying to reclaim that language uh, and really struggling with that process because we don't have many language speakers less left. And then when when you begin to leave the culture, you, the, some of the language doesn't make sense anymore, and that's a sad thing, you know, uh, to to see that happening. Yeah, I have to imagine that there have just been hundreds of native languages just lost to history. Is that is that is that a fair oh, assessment? I mean, absolutely. Uh, so many have been lost, and so many that are being recovered. Uh, the recovered version it doesn't have the depth uh, yeah. of the original language. But there are some places where where they're working harder. They're uh, getting their you know getting those tape recorders out and getting the microphones out and get into those elders before they walk on yeah, and, and get them to, to talk and explain and, uh, and understand that. So, you know, from Canada all the way down to Mexico, we've got indigenous people in North America that are still speaking somewhat, but very, it's a very small percentage. Yeah. I spent some time in New Mexico several years ago um, uh, on a Navajo reservation and one thing I noticed about even even walking around the town of Gallup, New Mexico, which is close to the, where we were going to be working, um, I heard Navajo a lot, like a lot, um, so much so that it was it was it was as close as I'd ever had to uh, to a foreign cult, uh, foreign country experience inside of the United States. I, I speak Spanish, so hearing Spanish spoken doesn't throw me off. You know what I mean? Um, but hearing people speaking Navajo was. Man, that was, and it was so cool. And then on the reservation where we were helping somebody rebuild the church or something, we just heard it all the time. But 
they, the older folks that we talked to lamented so much that the younger people weren't as interested. So I made some recordings remember that have of the Lord's Prayer in Navajo and some other things. I don't know, maybe that's a good place to start. We went to that reservation under the auspices of Christian ministry. And, you know, we, <laughs> it, I don't know, it, looking back on it now, it feels a little, a little strange to say that, but that's what, that was what we did. We wanted to help and do some things. I guess, I guess my question is, is that, is that a, from the inside looking out, is that a weird thing to have people come along and go, Hey, let me, let me, let me, first of all, try and evangelize you. Um, <laughs> but also, you know, I, I liked it because at least we did some things that were practical as well. Right. Sure. We weren't just there holding Bible studies and trying to get people to convert. We, but I don't know. I, that seems like a strange first question, but there's where I went. <laughs> well, that, this has been going on a long time, you know, yeah. um, and, and the Navajo people, uh, I've heard that that the percentage of Navajos that have converted to Christianity is quite large compared to some of the other tribes. Yeah, many elders have, but but um, yeah, Christianity for the for the most part, from my perspective, did not come in a good way. It didn't oh, yeah. represent who Jesus is, and you know sometimes I'm you know. Uh, I live, my wife and I live five years on the Hopi reservation, which is right in the center of the Navajo reservation. So, uh, so you have, there's some cross-cultural things that go on there, but, um, you know, when I, I went there under the, uh, under the same things, I wasn't raised in my native culture. So I've had to relearn it, re-embrace it and everything. But when I went to the Hopi res, you know, I'm, I was raised in the evangelical church. I, uh, kind of Baptist assembly, God, you know, different, uh, I've been, I've been through the route of it. And, and, uh, one of the things is I became not embarrassed of Jesus, not embarrassed of the gospel, but embarrassed of the way it's been presented, of the way it's come to our, to our people, and how that the, the something that would be so, so beautiful and such good news to so many Native people, if it was just brought the right way, became bad news, became something uh, kind of ugly in many places. Um, and it's, to me, um, maybe it's a, a, I'm surprised sometimes they say that probably less than 10% of our native people go to church or connect to being a Christian. So, you know, um, it's amazing to me that there's that many. Right. Yeah, yeah to, sure. To be honest, there's well, many. Given the, given the history, right? Given the I history, mean, that's right. Yeah. And so, um, uh, so the, you know, the language, I, I've spent a lot of time among the Diné people, the Navajo, are, oh, they call themselves Diné. And uh, I've got Navajo friends. I work together with some with some Navajos through inter, inter, Native InterVarsity. <clears throat> and uh, um, I know a, 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 a missionary uh, up in uh, uh, the uh, Four Corners area that hey, he actually speaks Navajo better than most Navajos, and he's mm. white. <laughs> but he is so respected, and he's he's really come the right way, and he's and he's gone into the communities that and 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 settled in, and and uh, discipleship didn't mean taking away your language or trying to get you to believe certain doctrines certain way. Discipleship meant meant getting in there and finding out. What was the commonalities between the teachings of Jesus and the Navajo culture? 
Where do they come together? And where can we find common ground first and then build from there? And some have done it the right way, but I, I have to say that most uh, haven't in the past. And I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm encouraged that there's, there's a generation now that wants to do it the right way. Yeah. I mean, we have a good example of, of even in scripture of how Paul did this, right? I mean, Paul didn't go to the Greeks and lambaste them for worshiping the wrong gods. And he did, you know, he actually connected Jesus with the, with the gods. Well, he's, you know, I see you have a statue to an unnamed God. Let me tell you the name of that God. Um, <laughs> I see you people of great faith. You know, he commended them for their faith. And, and it seems like, again, go back to the history and obviously we have a tortured history. Um, with how we've colonized and how we've, you know, um, for lack of a better word, conquered. There's, there was nothing Jesus-y about any of that. It was, let's see if we can just, you know, especially if you look at people like Cortez and, and others. So we have, a, we have a long history. Europeans have a very, very, <laughs> very bad history of doing this. But we have a really good example of, of how to do this. And, and especially, so the very, very little, and I'll, I'll start by saying this, uh, the very, very little that I know about Native spirituality tells me, or at least it seems to suggest that, that, that there's a lot more in common oh, than, than there ever would be that, that's not, that's different. Oh yeah, some of the first um, people that came and started sharing the story of Jesus with our Native people on the East Coast, some of them came in a good way, some of them came in the right way, and Native people embraced the teachings of Jesus because there was so much commonality there already. And so, you know, um, I, I have a friend who says, you know, when, when, uh, uh, when we, when the missionaries first came, uh, you know, he spread out his hands as wide as they would go. Uh, no, was, he, he said, when the missionaries first came, he put his fingers together really close and said, we were this far apart. He says, well, when they got done, he spread out his arms full length and says, this is where we're at today, this far apart. And so, so um, you know, it's kind of like we have to undo all this crap that's happened, all this junk that's happened has to be undone. And you have to be, almost start with with that process before you can even begin to say, share Jesus or, or share who he is, because he's got, you know, in so many native circles, Jesus just is misrepresented. He's got a, he's been, he's got a black eye in his, in the sense that, that nobody, uh, the native people don't take him seriously because native people look at the messenger as much as they look at the message. And they say, well, you know, if the message, if, if these are his messengers, then why should I follow him? They, you know, they, they, they have, they've um, mistreated us. They've cooperated with the government that, uh, to take away our language, to put us, our children in boarding schools, to do all these different things. And so, you know, why on earth would anyone want to follow, you know, a, a, a spiritual being, a, a messiah or, or whatever that, that inspired his followers to do such things. Yeah. And fair question. I mean, that's, that's something that is something we'll, we all have to reckon with and honestly, right. And as we, you know, as we move forward in from maybe a better perspective of faith and religion, um, and we start seeing the commonalities between native culture and their religions and the religion of Jesus, I think there's this idea, there's just, at least for me, there's this understanding that there is a underlying 
truth that that permeates this world, not just, you know, so we as Western Europeans, as we come in and colonize these countries, and we think that we have the better answer. You know, I have friends who are Nez Pierce, Pierce and, uh, you know, they follow the seven drums religion. And as he speaks to me of that religion, and I'm like, that sounds so much like what I was taught growing up. And they're so similar. And so we use different language, but we come to a understanding that there is this supernatural being or this great father or whatever you want to call them, right? That guides us and, and moves us towards a better understanding of our connection with this planet, with each other and with the world. Um, it's just, it's saddening to me. It, it, it's disheartening to me that we want to find ways to make us separate. And I'm not saying we as in uh, within the native people. I'm talking about we as in the Europeans who were so dogmatic in that their their religion and their version of Christ was the only right answer that we walk in, we storm in, we conquer, and we decimate cultures that if we had taken, God damn it, we just taken just a few minutes and just listen right? I mean, how many times has this come down to if we were willing to just listen to someone's story and find out how, how much similar we are than we are different? You know, and it, 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 it causes me, you know, embarrassment. It causes me, uh, I don't want I, I don't want to go down that, ro- that, down that road of like self-hate and all that. You know, we can all do that. Right. And that, and, and at the end of that day of that is just, I hate myself and I'm not willing to move forward. But if we can shut the hell up for just a minute and listen to other people's stories. Right. And if we had done this <laughs> hundreds, hundreds of years ago, how much different this could have been? Right. Absolutely. You know, um, uh, we, we had to be, we had to invent theologies to make what happened. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And that's, yeah. 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 And that is, I mean, that's the truth. I mean, and we don't want to talk about, you know, we don't want to mislead and say this hasn't happened within other cultures, right? The European and, and, you know, I, I have no problem bashing my ancestry because we've done a really <laughs> good job of stepping into other countries and making them either get in line with us or we just decimate them. So we've done that with the African culture, the Asian culture, and the the American cultures. So uh, I have no problem uh, beating my own ancestry up. Uh, And I, and you know, and we, and we've heard it all right. The Africans in the African continent that they fought each other. And that's, that, you know, that's fine. But we are one of the only, areas within the Western European culture that actually colonized and moved out into other areas and decimated not only the culture, the faith, the language, the everyday way these people lived. And so, I mean, to ignore that is just, is just, is just ignorant in my opinion. And and it's willful ignorance of that. Yeah. I, I want to go back to what you said there real quick. If you'd expand on, we had to we had to invent theologies to make that okay. What what for example? What do you mean? I mean, I have an idea what you mean, but well, you know, you, you have to come up with this idea that that somehow God, the Creator, uh, 
chose certain people to nominate other people. Okay. Certain people were supposed to be, uh, are more responsive to this message somehow. And because of that, that gives them the right to go out and begin to take over. Well, these, these people here, like say native people, uh, they're not properly taking care of this land. They're not, you know, using these resources properly and things like that. So, uh, so some of the early settlers come in and they bring in diseases with them. Okay. Diseases that our native people did not have any defenses for. And so these settlers, when they, you know, they start moving in, some of them are, are, are conflicting with the natives. Some of them are getting along with the natives. And what happens is some of the, is the natives get sick and they start dying off. And so, uh, so they start saying, well, I think this must be, this must be God's will for us to take over this land. Cause look, What's happening? Native people are dying and we're living. And so it must be that God has preordained, predestined this idea. Uh, and, you know, and, and so what comes up is, is this uh, concept of, uh, you know, sort of a predestination, predestiny, a manifest destiny, uh, that, that, that God has made it obvious and clear that, that these people from Europe or, or whatever these nations are over there are supposed to come over here and take over this land because this is what God wants to have happen. And so, you know, then, then we, we use examples, examples out of the Old Testament begin to be used. Oh, look, God did it this way before, you know, very, very early on with the, uh, Narragansett people and the uh, Pequot people in the early, with the early settlers, um, uh, that, that came in, uh, there was, there was a terrible massacre early on. And in that massacre, uh, these people who, who were getting ready to, to, uh, this colonel came in, or I, I don't know if he's a colonel, what he was. He's British. At this point, there's no United States yet. Okay. But, but uh, he begins to to say we we need to uh, wipe out these people because they they killed one of ours. Okay, so we gotta, we're going to wipe them all out. And then some of the settlers said, "Well, this doesn't feel right. This doesn't feel like something that Jesus would want. Why would we kill them all? Why would we do that?" And so they have the 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 uh, chaplain comes in and he says, "I'm going to take this to prayer tonight." And he prays all night long. And in the morning, he comes in and he says, it's clear from Scripture that God has made it clear that there are times when we have to, we have to uh, get rid of evil by destroying it. And, and when people are this evil, you have to destroy all these people. And, and he basically said, it, it's clear. And, and so the spiritual leaders, the chaplain, is approving of this massacre, and they did it. They massacred over 600 men, women, and children, uh, killed them in their, their beds, burned them out. Um, some of them survived and are able and told the story, and that's why we know about the story today. But then when, later on, when the, the, the person in charge of that massacre, the, the leader, um, I don't know the military terms uh, for them, but when he was asked, 
he said he quotes some Old Testament scripture about how God was glorified as their flesh was 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 melting into the earth or some odd statement like that. Just some really bizarre. T- today, when we read it, we go, that's bizarre. But these people really, really believed it and they acted it out. And that's that's to me, that's a scary thing. That's a scary thing for our native people. You know, when, uh, you know, when, when the United States finally became the United States of America and then they started moving westward, well, the natives knew what had already happened. Word of mouth had gotten out there uh, of what the 13 colonies did, you know, to the native people and pushed them out. And now they're coming this way. And, and so they begin to fight. So they begin to protect their land. So they begin to, you know, uh, do all that. And, and again, now they're evil because they're doing the very thing anyone would do to protect their their women and children and 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 their families and their and and their land and so it just becomes it just becomes an odd thing you know i mean you can write read so many books on it uh that 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 tell what happened that tell the truth through native eyes through people who have who have actually non-natives who have really studied what's happened but the sad thing is you've got this whole history that just keeps going all the way out. now i'm in arizona arizona's only you know is only just over a hundred years old as a state you know and so the history here is a little different but but Everywhere you go, there's a history and there's a trail of tears and there's a, there's a, 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 a story of, of what happened. And then the sad thing is all the, all of Christianity, evangelical Christianity, Catholicism, everything gets mixed into this pot and becomes part of the story, which really makes it difficult. If you want to be a Jesus follower, you know, uh, and reach native and, and, you know, why would you want to reach native people? You got to believe that they're that they have no knowledge of God at all. That they're somehow savages or or such. And if you approach anybody that way, you know native people had an understanding of of the supreme being, like you said, the the great father, the creator, the great spirit. Uh, the native people understood that there was more to life than just what we can see with our eyes. Right. Well. It seems it seems to me in some of the reading I've done that it's it's a lot easier to conquer a people or decimate a people if you don't give them any kind of history, right? They are they are um, less than human, and then so as you know, I've spent the last few years reading on different cultures, be it uh, within African cultures or. Uh, what, but within the Native American cultures or the indigenous cultures of this country, one of the first things, and I'm embarrassed to even say this, is one of the first things that I learned was that they actually had, okay, so we were taught that these there were these individual tribes within these areas, within the, what we now call, you know, in quotes, the United States. And that, so the way we were taught was these cultures didn't communicate with each other, Right. That they didn't have any. So the first things that was just like that blew my mind was that there was an actual, uh, for lack of a better way, better description, a highway system, right? That went from east coast to west coast that went from up into the 
what we now would consider the Arctic or Alaska, all the way down into the, the Central and Southern Americas, right? These people traveled. They knew each other. They had communities that, that moved around and, and communicated with each other. There was a, like I said, for lack of a better description, a highway system that allowed these people to move around. And that we have this idea, again, from our Western European history that we were taught that there was no real structure to uh, farming, how they hunted, all that, right? Which is also just a blatant lie. They actually farmed better than we do. They used uh, a system that allowed for crops to grow and regrow and move and, 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 and work together, right? Fertilize yeah, each yeah. other, which is something we have now just recently reintroduced as some new idea into <laughs> the, the, the Midwest farming area, right? Which we decimated during the Dust Bowl and all of that, right? Because we came through and we just decided to farm one crop because we knew we could make money off of it. And the native, you know, the native people, the indigenous people are like, that's not how this works. But we want to like minimalize that into some kind of subhuman, non-industrial idea, I guess. It's, it's, it's a bad, it's a bad description too, right? But just in the last few years, the knowledge that I have learned about the, the indigenous people here who have a way better understanding of how this country or this continent works than, than we gave them credit for because they were subhuman. They weren't as smart as us. They didn't have a written language, all of that, right? Yep, that's that's kind of the, the story that's been developed. That's the lies that have been right. have been told. And, and uh, you know, one of the things, uh, you know, when, when the settlers came and, and start taking over, you know, I mean, the pictures, if you go back into the, to the early pictures during the, the wars and things, you always see pictures of native people, uh, you know, these savages, so to speak, using the word savage often, you know, scalping some woman, you know, or, or something like that. You know, they, ne- you know, th- 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 all these things happen. So you have to, you have to, uh, dehumanize people. You, got, you, you know, you got to demonize people to make it okay to remove them, to drive them out or whatever it is, um, and not see them as human or not see them as worthy to be on the land or whatever, whatever it is. So, yeah, it, it becomes difficult. But what they don't, don't tell you about is the savagery on the other side. You know, George Washington was the first terrorist. He actually used the word that he would, that he would defeat them by inspiring terror, by completely destroying their villages and burning everything, including their crops and taking uh, all their women captive and not listening to one cry for peace. You know, one, one of George uh, Washington's generals actually quoted Washington on that. And, and, when you think of how bad it got, I mean, I, I hate to say this, but, you know, when you look at savagery, when you look at what happened, George Washington soldiers skinned Native people and wore their, wore their skins as clothing and boots and things like this. And, but it was done for the purpose of terror. It wasn't because they needed boots made out of 
native skin. <laughs> it was because they wanted to terrorize the native people. And the, and the native people, uh, matter of fact, scalping was not part of our cultures. You know, it was introduced, I think, by the French. So, yeah, I mean, we can, we can go there. But, you know, uh, inspiring guilt doesn't help. You know, I and and things like that. You know, I don't say all these things to inspire guilt, but more to inspire some form of compassion. Yeah, I as I as I learn more and more about the uh, a truer history, right? Not the whitewash history that I was taught through high school and even into college, right? Even into the universities. I, I agree with you. It's it, I don't I don't believe it's to build this guilt to the point where I want to hide and not become a better human being. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a learning process that what I was taught was told by a victorious group of people because the victors always get to tell the history, right? You know, and it's something as simple as like, you kind of hinted on this and it's this whole idea was like, you know, the Washington commanders, right? Just recently had to change their name. Their name was the Washington Redskins. I had no idea the history of that word. None until I started like, like seriously, like as they're talking about changing the name, I'm like, well, you know, what's the reason why we want to change this name? The red skin is something similar to what you were just talking about is skinning the indigenous people and the, the, the remnant of their bodies were this quote unquote red skin because they were now a bloody corpse. So we called them that very specific, you know, and so. The beginning of this, you know, and uh, you know, to be perfectly honest, it's like it's just a name, right? It's just Redskin. I don't understand why they need to change the football name. By the end of it, I'm like, oh my god, change that name as soon as humanly possible. This is horrible. This is an actual horrible to to continue to allow this to be said every 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 year during a football season is just horrendous. You know, a reminder of what. What, 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 you know, Western Europeans and then the Americas did to the native indigenous cultures here. It's, it's, it's horrendous. Well, and amazingly, there's so many of our native people nowadays that have been so assimilated that they don't even know that story themselves. Right. That hurts. And then, and then, you know, some of our native people begin to question, why would you want to change that? Why, you know, and, and then you have to open up all the, the truth. And a lot of times, you know, people just don't want to hear the truth. Yeah. Well, and, yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, we, as you know, like I said, you know, Western Europeans, white American citizens, again, in quotes, uh, definitely don't want to hear that story because that's, that's, that's our history. You know, it's not, and I understand when people say that's not me, but I live and I, and I am where I am because I can stand on the shoulders of the people who did this. And it's the same with the, you know, the African enslavement. You know, it's the same with the indigenous culture here. We can, I can say all day long, well, that wasn't me. I didn't do that. But I'm already set up to prosper because of what my ancestors did. And that's the acknowledgement that we have. That's where we have to start, right? Right. Yeah. And, and I visited places in Mount Pleasant, Michigan. There was a boarding school that ran for 50 years. And uh, they, they would have an average of 300 Native students in that boarding school. And, um, <clears throat> and, and so, you know, sometimes parents would show up 
to pick up their children who had been put in boarding school, some taken by force, others relinquished out of no other choice uh, to have their children go to the boarding school, hoping that maybe, you know, we could survive as a people, you know? And so what happened in that boarding school was was terrible abuse. So many died. And the, the official records was five Native students died there. And, and I think the number now is over 200 they've discovered. But one of the things that happened is that boarding school now has been given back to the local tribe there, the Saginaw Chippewa tribe in, in Mount Pleasant, Michigan. And I've attended one of their, uh, a few years ago, I attended one of their remembering and healing gatherings. And they, they gather people. They even invite pastors from churches to come and speak at this gathering. And what they do is they take them on tours through this boarding school and they, they let everybody know, here's what happened. And he said, so people say, well, why, why are you bringing all this up? Well, we want to make sure that people understand that this doesn't happen again. And we want people to understand why we're in the condition we are in today. Um, it's not because of our culture, not not because our culture is is a subculture and not a, a culture that can survive, or 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 a, a culture that just is, is is not worthy of existence. It's because this happened to us, you know. And and our cultures actually were so uh, such healing cultures that we've been resilient through the whole process, and we're still here, still lifting our voices, still remembering, still calling out for the truth to be told and our stories to be heard so that so that we can be healed, but also so that we can walk together in honesty and integrity. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and it, it, it's interesting too, because, you know, uh, if there are people alive and there are a growing number of people alive today who will deny the Jewish Holocaust, one of the most well-documented acts of atrocity in, in, Amer- in history, right? How much easier is it to forget um, the Holocaust of Native Americans because those those histories were always whitewashed. Those histories were always buried, and so John's right. I mean, I, I can tell you that you know most of what he and I both know about it, American Indigenous cultures comes from a very two dimensional sort of caricature type of history. You know, we grew up making you know feather hats and pilgrim things at Thanksgiving, and there we had all this mythology built up around the first settlers and how they cooperated. We don't get into the nitty gritty, but John and I live in a part of California, or I, I don't live there now, but we grew up in a part of California that has a a couple of pretty savage massacres that are associated with just outright terrorist acts that were then subsequently buried for a good long time in, until, you know, until people were made aware of it. And I still find myself talking to a lot of people like me who are, who are unaware of stuff. And I think a lot of times they just don't want to be. They're sort of in and they're just, you know what I'm saying? Like it, they just don't know how to process it or don't know why it matters. And so they can, there's a, a little bit of willful ignorance. Well, my wife and I traveled for, for 10 years across Turtle Island. We, that's what we call North America, Turtle Island. Uh, and and we, we visited both uh, ch- churches on reservations mm-hmm. and we visited non uh, non-native churches off reservations, and we visited powwows, and we and we uh, uh, we had doors open to us for, 
that we could uh, share our stories, share our music at powwows and things like that. And that's kind of eventually what led to this project for the First Nation version, which we'll eventually get to talk about. <laughs> Let's do that. <laughs> Let's not forget to do that. <laughs> but but um, one thing I appreciate, uh, uh, you know, uh, I, I would always get questions, you know, why, why are you bringing up the past? And I would say, uh, I would say, well, because the past really happened and the past affects today. Yeah. You know, it's still here. You know, the ripples of the past are still happening to us today, to people today. And, and they said, well, you should just forget about it. And I said, so in other words, you, you just want to get rid of your Bible, right? Yeah. Stop talking about the past then. Stop talking about the past. Those things happened a long time ago. You know, how could something that happened 2,000 years ago affect us today? How could Jesus dying on the cross and rising from the dead affect us today since it happened 2,000 years ago? Yeah. You know, Throw it all out, right? And that would and that would get the point across. What <laughs> I good. what I really appreciate about the scriptures, uh, the uh, both the New Testament and the Old Testament, is that the authors don't try to hide the bad stuff. No, they don't. You're right. It is told. We can read Abraham's story, David's story. We can read about Peter's denial of Jesus, and, it, and nobody covered it up. Nobody tried to wash it over. It's, it's just right there to be told. And I think that gives the scriptures some integrity and gives it some, some uh, it's, uh, a story that can be told where that kind of integrity has power. And there's power today. If we could tell this story right today, there would be such power in it. Yeah, so let's, 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 Let's step into the, the this idea of, of the First Nations versions version of the Bible because I, this is first of all um, a mutual friend Brad Jersak uh, posted actually I want to say over a year ago uh, uh, a post about this book and I bought it on Amazon like right away I'm like this is this is something I need to read this is something I want in 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 my collection. Uh, I'm, and to be perfectly honest, and Nat knows this, and my, most of our listeners, I'm not a big Bible reader. I don't read the Bible much anymore. Nat and I have different views on, you know, how important the Bible is, uh, in our day to day. Uh, I don't, I honestly don't read it much anymore. I did the whole, you know, read the Bible in a year, you know, spend my time in the Word. Uh, I, I'm kind of over that. But, this idea of a First Nations versions of the Bible was so interesting to me, even as a non-Bible reader, that I bought it. Uh, I wanted to read. Uh, so, can it just give us like a like a what a, like a ten thousand foot view of why the what was the decision? Why 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 did you decide to do this translation or version of the Bible? Well, one of the things um, my wife and I were, lived for five years on the Hopi Reservation in northern Arizona. The Hopi are a beautiful people. I, I, I love so much of the, uh, so many aspects of their culture. It's just amazing to me how they live together, how they uh, see the world, how they understand things. And there are a number of hope. There were, there are, I think when I lived there back in the year between 2000 and 2005, there were probably about 12,000 Hopis living on the res there. A very, uh, still very, far away from uh, Flagstaff, uh, from civilization, what we, you know, what we call civilization. They have their own civilization. 
But the Hopi people, some of them are very traditional still because they were never removed from their land. Uh, a lot of their traditions have been preserved for a long time. Now it's starting to break down with, uh, with the loss of language and different things, uh, that are going on and, and, um, uh, and such. But so we lived there and I, I was trying, you know, I, I, I believed and I was raised to believe and I still believe that the message of Jesus is a good message for all people. I believe that. And so um, I just began to see that this, you know, the way the Bible was being used, the way we were trying to do Bible studies in the Hopi jail, so to speak, with or an organization I was working with, uh, I just, it just wasn't connecting. You know, uh, ha- having fill in the blank you know, Bible lessons. Can you imagine? You know, and, and some of the, I could see some of these Hopi guys and some of these Navajo guys that were would sit in, you know, just kind of blank staring, like, oh, you know. And I, I remember the day, the one thing that just blew me away, and I, I didn't understand it at the time, but I do now, was was I decided to pick some verse from the Old Testament, something like, uh, you know, the stars declare the glory of God, right? Okay. And I said, I had a group of Hopi guys with me, and I said, let's look at this verse. Because I thought, well, here's a, a, a verse that's connecting to creation. And I knew how much creation was a part of our of a Native worldview, our Native worldview. I, I include myself now in that worldview. But, um, <clears throat> but... Uh, I said that scripture and I asked them and they all just kind of looked at each other. And one, finally one guy says, he says, because God loves us and Jesus died on the cross. That's why there's glory in the stars. (laughs) So, so I began to say, Oh, I see what's happening here. You know, native people, uh, a lot of times, you know, they're, they're not, Many of our Native people, especially the Hopis, are so peace-loving. They hate confrontation. They also hate being being wrong about things. And so they they wanted to make sure they gave the right answer. In other words, they weren't trying to think it through. We weren't helping them think it through. We were they 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 just felt like they needed to come up with the right answer to satisfy us, so that we would agree that they had it yeah. right. Right, which is a terrible way to to bring to bring to try to <laughs> yeah. understand the uh, the teachings of Jesus. So uh, that was the beginning of of just I thought there needs to be another way of doing this, and then and then uh, I learned about uh, from my mentors. I learned about talking circles and how the talking circle functions in native culture. So I started using a, a talking circle model to. To uh, with the with the men and women in the jail, and then and then I found uh, when I went to pastor a church, I found a Hopi Bible in the storage room in a box. Really? Oh wow! And I wondered why aren't they using the Hopi Bible? Yeah, 
Why? Yeah, the Hopi New Testament is right here. So I pulled that. I pulled that box out, and I went to some of our church members, uh, some elderly ladies, and I said, uh, "I said we got the NIV in the church, and everybody reads out of that. But why aren't we using this Bible? Why isn't it? You know, I I wouldn't understand it, but wouldn't it be nice to read from this on Sundays and and when we gather together to read a little bit from the Hopi and then maybe translate it across from the Hopi perspective or something like that." And they looked at me and said, we don't read the Bible, the Hopi Bible. We can't read it. And it hit me. The, the, the boarding schools were successful. They didn't teach us how to read it. All these translators, and I met the translator, the Wycliffe translator who translated the Hopi New Testament. And, 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 but there was, I think they told me there might have been one person on that. Uh, you know, whole res who could actually read Hopi, you know, and and so it made me start thinking, you know, this is this whole thing that has been just backward. Uh, you know, uh, we, we got to approach this somehow differently, and so um, I, I just started a, a, an experiment where I started rewording the scriptures. In English, since I knew our native people aren't reading their languages, so they're not hearing the Bible, the scriptures, they're not hearing it in their heart language. So is there a way that we could present an English translation that connects somehow to their heart language and word it in such a way that it would connect to the way native people process, you know, though at least those who, who, um, grew up under speaking some of the language. A lot of the young natives I know, they can understand the language, but they can't speak it. And that just, but what, so what happened is I started working with some of the Hopi men and women, and we started rewording things. And, and, you know, and, and, and the funny thing was, is they started engaging with the scriptures. And in other words, we got to figure out what this really means so we can say it in a native way to get that meaning across. And that was kind of the beginnings of the idea that eventually became, eight years later, eventually became uh, the, the, the New Testament that you, uh, you're holding there, the First Nation version. But it took a long time. I, I was not trained to be a translator. I didn't, um, I didn't think I'd be translating the scriptures. I figured somebody out there has got to be able to, you know, some of these Wycliffe translators, some of these people have got to get this idea that this needs to happen out there. Because everywhere, as we started traveling, everywhere my wife and I went, we just kept sharing little portions that had been reworded, right? And they loved it. The native churches I went to, the native people would come up to me, the elders especially, and they would say, you say it in English the way we think it in our language. And there needs, to, and they said, where did you, where was that what Bible were you reading from? And that's what how it got started. Well, and what's interesting because I'm looking through the introduction right of the of the book, and it you know, this is what's cool for me is the 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 the, the tribes that you worked with, yeah, to help come up with what you consider the First Nations versions, which is. Uh, very, uh, it's the Canadian language in, in that, right? Canadians, the Canadian indigenous people, I think voted, right? And they wanted to be called First Nations. That's what they're, they're, they, I think, I think so. 
I think. Um, but so the idea of a first nation, and I really like that, that language, right? Native American is, is we understand what it means, but you're like, most people are like, well, yeah, but indigenous culture, there was no America. So you're calling us the native of something that didn't exist. But just, just to read real quick, I mean, just some of the, some of, some of the tribes that are involved in this is the Navajo, the Pawnee, the Choctaw, the Ojibwe, Kalispell, Nez Perce, um, uh, the, the Creek, the Cherokee. I mean, it, and it goes on and on from there. It, so this isn't a, 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 a translation from one tribal nation, right? One single nation. This is, this is, this is multiple tribes across this, of this nation that we call America now coming together and working on this as a translation, right? And yeah, that was, I would say it this way. They are multiple people from different tribes. Okay. There we go. Yeah. To make yes. this. The tribes didn't do it. The tribal council never voted on it right. or anything like that. But, it, but a, a number of Jesus followers who are Native American believed enough in this, that this needed to be done, that they came together with me and, and to produce this along with a Bible translation organization that, that which is another story of how they got involved. One book of Canada, but uh, so, but yeah, it's it's it, and it's a sort of an intertribal kind of wording, not tribally specific. Right. Well, as you were talking about how this sort of originated, it reminded me of stories I've heard about Eugene Peterson mm-hmm. and how you know I, I don't know if you if if, if you've had a chance to meet Eugene before he passed or 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 but but. That's that's very similar to what he talks about. It's like, well, I started coming up with these sort of transliterations of my own, these paraphrases that help people connect better with the scripture. And that led him to a almost, I don't know how many years it took him to to go through the Old and the New Testament and to come up with, with the message. But um, to me, there's, I mean, I, I just can't think of a more worthwhile thing to do to take something that can so easily become disconnected and find a way to, to find more meaningful connections in it. Um, so did you, um, having not spent a lot of time in the book myself, um, I will, but I haven't yet. Is it, is it about, is it about imagery, about like ways of describing things? Is it a, is it a, I'm, I'm just curious what would differentiate it? Well, in other words, uh, yeah, yeah, the, the metaphors and idioms as much as possible, we draw from our, our native cultures. Um, and so, um, for example, in, in the, uh, what's called the Lord's Prayer, right? We, we, we talk about daily bread. It, it, I mean, that's what, that's what most, uh, I think all translations will say daily bread. Give us each day our daily bread. But we say, provide for us day by day the elk, the buffalo, and the salmon, the corn, the squash, the wild rice. All those things we need for each day, uh, you know, and so we intentionally stayed away from what I would call as much as possible from from uh, tainted colonial language. Okay, because there are words that are translated from the Greek and from the Hebrew. For for example, the word sin. We decided not to use the word sin in the 
First Nation version. Our translation council, we worked together on, on deciding. Uh, we went through 185 words that Wycliffe says, you got to get these words right in a translation. And we agreed about how we were going to translate into English, reword into English, so to speak. We're so, and, you know, and we did translate. We went back to the Hebrew and to the Greek. We had consultants that worked with us, 50 years experience with indigenous cultures. So, um, but yet it was still a very uh, grassroots kind of translation. You know, it, it wasn't experts doing the translation. Uh, it was experts help supporting us as we and as we did the translation, <laughs> you know, and that's the philosophy of, of one book. But but uh, so the corn, the squash, the wild rice are equivalent to what bread meant to Second Temple Jews. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and so we we, we and so sin, for example, um, if you in the boarding schools, they would say. Oh, it's a sin for boys to have long hair. It's a sin to pray with smoke. It's a sin to pray with a feather. It's a sin to speak your language. So the word sin has a negative feel to it because of that experience. And the second thing is the word sin in itself, unless you understand, you know, it's such a theological word nowadays. You know, that, that it could have so many different meanings. So we chose words common to how native people might view the idea of missing the mark, which is the meaning of the Greek word, right? So we said, sometimes, depending on the context, we say bad hearts, broken ways. You know, those with, uh, you know, those who, who follow their bad hearts in broken ways. Wow. Okay. okay. So, so that conveys the same idea. And some Greek scholars have actually uh, told me that I, that, that we probably did a better job on a lot of Greek words than most trans English translations do because we did bring across a more, uh, full meaning, uh, in many different places. You know, we, we struggled with the word kingdom. How are we going to convey kingdom to a, a people who didn't have kings and, 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 and or, or set up in, in the ways kingdoms are set up? And so, uh, so we, we did some research. We actually, we have native theologians, George Tinker in his book, uh, Spirit and Resistance, who is a Jesus follower and native and a, a theologian. He talks about the kingdom of God from a native perspective. And he called, well, he, he, he goes deeper than this, but what I got gleaned out of his writings, that the kingdom would be, might be something like we would say the good road. This is the good road, creator, creator's good road to walk. And so, so the kingdom became the good road that we walk. It's a way of life, not just a, a, a place somewhere else or, or, you know, it's a way of living. And so we just used words like that. Um, for example, we didn't, we didn't, uh, if you look at the Beatitudes, you know, uh, we would say things like, you know, how it says the meek will inherit the earth. Okay. Well, what does that mean to inherit the earth? What does that mean? I don't know what it means to me. Yeah. Let alone. <laughs> so, so I thought ab about that and, and I, and our native people thought about that. We said creator's blessing rests on the ones who walk softly and in a humble manner. That's meekness. Uh, it says the earth, land and sky will welcome them and always be their home. 
So we're, we're, we're conveying the meaning of it through a cultural lens that relates to how Native people might understand inheritance uh, and, and such. Um, we, for, uh, often for the word righteousness, we didn't use the word righteousness anywhere because it's such a overused, misunderstood term. We, in some places, we might have used justice in a few places, but a lot of times we just said the creator wants to make wrongs right again. He wants to he, he wants to uh, do these things. So uh, so we're called to walk in ways where wrongs have been done to bring healing, to bring full you know restoration uh, and different things like that. So those those that's the idea behind the translation. Some call it a uh, what is uh, I'm looking for the wording uh, of the kind of translation, like a paraphrase. It's not. It, uh, it's I, not really. It's not really a paraphrase. I, I wouldn't say. Yeah, it's not exactly a paraphrase. There are portions of it that are paraphrases. Sure. But it's it. Uh, I've been told by experts that it's a dynamic equivalent translation. Well, I like that. Meaning for meaning. Yeah. And so, so the the uh, with a dynamic equivalent translation, what you try to do is is you look at the the person you or the group you're translating to, and you make that the priority that that we're going to translate these words in ways that this group is going to really understand these words culturally. So you have to take culture into the context of the translation, which. You know, if you think about it, you know, when they went from the from the Hebrew to the Greek, that happened. Absolutely, yeah. Well, and you can say even, you know, even in English, when we finally, you know, I'm sure King James. It was cultural. You know, they, they absolutely translated that in terms of what their culture would understand or, or certainly in sometimes uh, ways they wanted right. to steer their yeah. culture. Yeah, and, um, and anyone who tells you different. Is it's just but, like no, it, it's it's the authorized King James version. It's right there in the title. Um, <laughs> it's it's the one that Jesus read. So, well, what's interesting is that um, for me now, as I as I as I'm used theological, right, and I talk about the kingdom of God. That's exactly how I explain it to people. The kingdom of God is not some far off place where we're going to go rule as kings and what. It is the it is it is a way of doing life. That is that is in in line with the heart of God, and is fundamentally opposed to the way that 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 human institutions work. You know, so it's it that's beautiful. I mean, I I I, I think anybody uh, should get something out of it. I didn't mean to cut you off. What were you saying, sir? We also tried to tried to put this the feel of a storyteller into the uh, scriptures and. Pretty much our feedback has told us we were really good at that. We had a uh, uh, in, in uh, a native elder in a church somewhere was given a copy. I, this report came back to me and uh, of the First Nation Version. She began to read out of it to her granddaughter, who was seven years old. And as she's reading it, she falls into her native cadence. Wow. That's and great. the daughter says, Grandma, the Bible sounds like you. <laughs> <laughs> that's and I that's, thought, that's, that's amazing. That's what, yeah. 
we made it. You know, I mean, that, that's, yeah. that was our goal. And we, and, and that's uh, what they do, but also native Americans were traditionally our storytellers. Yeah, absolutely. And, and a storyteller tells things in a way that's unique to the storyteller and meaningful to the listeners uh, storytellers draw from history, tradition, experience, and and they ensure the essence of the story is preserved without a need to present a strict word for word recital. So that's the idea that we're trying that we went for with this translation, and it looks like we uh, we got a long ways there. Now I I want to say something really clear in case there's native people listening. What about our languages? Well, I support. And, and and in no way does this take away or try to replace our native languages. But right now, because we're not speaking our languages, if if native people want to have a real, to me, a better way to see Jesus uh, within a, the context of a general native culture, this is this is the best thing we have for now. But I could even see that tr- some tribes might take this idea and do it tribally specific, and then they would begin to use different wordings in English. Yeah, it would make sense to me too. I mean, even if so, to go backwards now, yeah. you know what I mean? To because what you have if if you just went from say King James version to Hopi or to Navajo, you'd still carry some of that anglicized language into so. I'd, Okay, so what? It's, these are my, my words in my language, but they still don't connect to me culturally. Um, that would make sense to go backwards then and go, okay, let's. I, it reminds me that when you were talking about um, the cadence and the way uh, we were talking to a guy named Alexander John Shia, and he's uh, um, um, I forget what kind of he's not a Roman Catholic, he's old Catholic. There's another term for it, it's Eastern. But um, and he talks about growing up. Um, with with parents who who sang in church, they sang the psalms uh, in Aramaic. So he learned all of those, and there's and, and he almost can't read them anymore without without falling into that cadence, that rhythm of how those words are formed and how they're said. And um, he's like, it's so musical, you know. And then along along we come sometimes, and we and we sterilize everything. We end up with 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 things that don't. They're supposed to be poetry, for goodness sake, and they don't come off as very poetic. So I love the idea that, that the storytelling um, element is in there. I, lo- I like that. So, Well, and it, it, I was just going to say, well, and, and again, we, we have Americanized the Native or the Indigenous culture, right, into this. this we, we have created or built a certain cadence that we expect Indigenous people to speak. Right, because we've watched uh, Western movies. We've watched bad movies. We've watched, we've watched bad <laughs> movies, right? And, but you know, I have been introduced to people like John Trudeau. I'm going to get his name wrong. I, I'm going to. I almost don't want to say it. Uh, Buddy Redbow, or I think it's Buddy Redbow, who is another Native American or Indigenous uh, musician and also actor, who have introduced me to this. This, the language and the cadence of the indigenous people within the indigenous people, as opposed to Tonto, right? Or the, the, the Native American in our old West movies, our Westerns. And there, yes, there is. So 
we're breaking down this idea that yes, we we as white white people understand that there is a difference in the language, even the way they speak English. But we have Americanized even that, right? We expect them to be stoic. There's no there's no there's no humor. There's no laughter. Every Native American is stoic and very like. Uh, I'm not even very stereotypical. I'm not going to do yeah. any of it because it, that just becomes just horrendous. But yeah, yeah please, please don't. Yeah, <laughs> but <laughs> but in the in in reading indigenous authors and artists and musicians and poets, there is a cadence to the language, even when they speak English. Yes, and and uh, it's be- it's beautiful. I. I we worked really hard not to dumb down the language. Right. And I, and that's what I, I, I've noticed. In very that. hard yes. not yes. to. Um, we used, in some places, we used modern powwow culture. Mm. Okay. Uh, okay. All right. Familiar. Can I read a sample of the... Uh, yeah, absolutely. Of, yes. Uh, in Please. Philippians chapter three, small man, Paul, that's what his name basically means. He speaks, and he's talking in general translations. He says, I'm pressing toward the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, you know, and not that I've already arrived and all this kind of stuff, right? Right. Oh, yeah. This, that's the scripture. I'm going to give it to you in our native version, which uses powwow imagery, okay? I do not mean to say that I have won the victory or have already arrived at the end of the good road. But I keep dancing the victory dance, staying in step with the chosen one, who is the headman dancer leading the way. In this way, I can fully become what the chosen one, creator sets free, Jesus, has made me to be. My sacred family members, I do not represent myself as one who has finished the victory dance. My one aim is to forget what is behind me and to keep moving forward dancing the victory dance with firm steps to the drumbeat of creator's heart. I keep my eyes straight ahead while I dance toward the high honor the great spirit has called me to through the chosen one, creator sets free. Jesus. So that's an example of what Paul said. It captures, I remember when I was working on this translation, I was sitting with a group of natives and some non-natives in a, in a, uh, I don't want to name the organization, uh, a missionary s- school setting. I was with natives and non-natives, right? And I shared, I shared this uh, scripture right here. And, and some the non-natives looked at that and they said, I have no idea what, he, what he's saying. This doesn't make sense to me. That doesn't sound like what Paul's saying. And, I, and the native person turned to look to him and says, I get it now. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and that was the point, right? What's the point? Yeah. <laughs> so the audience, the audience it was intended for got yeah. it. Yeah. Well, and and wow. I have seen that in in uh translations we uh, I I wish I could say this was on our podcast but it wasn't. It was on another podcast where they had uh someone from uh a, a South American origin and they looked at certain stories within the, specifically the parables of Jesus. And they have an absolute different version or different idea of what the story means because of their immigrant status, which in this country. And until it was, until it was translated into their culture, it mean, it, it meant nothing to them. 
And it was a simple change of structure and a simple change of wording. And then it all like clicked into place for them. Well, it's really similar to what to what that to what the author did with the uh, with the parables in within uh, the LGBTQI community. Yes. They, she she wrote an entire book of looking at the parables of Jesus from that perspective of that marginalized community, mm, right? And and bringing that culture to bear and saying, okay, well, maybe 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 we've misunderstood this, or maybe there's another way to understand this. Yeah, I just think that's. I, First of all, as you were reading, I, I, I haven't done this in a very long time. I was tearing up a little bit. Like, <laughs> I, I really was. I mean, I'm heartfelt that was that got to me, and I've read that verse a million times, and you know, and I haven't had that same sentiment about it um, in a long time. So well, I'll just I'll just tell you uh, uh, if you haven't bought the book, buy the book. If it if for no yeah. other reason than than to read uh, John verses one through. Uh, you know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. The way this translation does that even makes more sense to me. Well, yeah, but but and, you're you're dense a little bit, so it takes a little time to get through to you. But, uh, but I was just going to say this, and then I'm going to I'll relinquish. But I, um, even for people like us who are for whom maybe we're not the intended audience, we've read the Bible so long, and we've read it so many times, it can get stale or it can get predictable. And so to have those, uh, to have that imagery come in and shift things a little bit is enough to make us go, okay, oh, oh, okay, maybe I hadn't seen that part before. Because sometimes that overfamiliarity with something can be problematic. And so if you're, if you're out there and you're like us, and you're like, well, this isn't really in- intended for me, I would 100% guarantee you'll, you'll benefit from it anyway. Well, we learned early on that 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 was the case because the the non-native people that were working behind the scenes to help, you know, supporting us, they would literally cry when they hear portions of it. And we began to see that that our of course our intended audience is native native people first. Um but we also see that it's that it's a gift to our First Nations people but also from our First Nations people to the dominant culture. And, and if nothing else, it, it creates, it, it's created an appreciation uh, with the dominant culture, with the majority culture of our Native people and our, and our, and our way of viewing things and thinking about things. And, it's, and like you said, uh, I've gotten so many f- much feedback that people have said that it's revitalized the scripture for them. You know, and I, I, I'm amazed and I'm blessed, but I also see that it, it, it shows a little bit of the, the value that's been pushed to the side of who our native people are and how our, our worldview and how our way of thinking actually can enhance uh, our understanding of creator. You know, we need, we need every part of the body of Christ, you know, not, not just one dominant color or one dominant way of thinking, uh, a, a monocultural view of God instead of a multicultural view of who God is. Amen. Amen. Man, I'm 100% on board and agree. Man, go ahead, John. I know what you're going to say. No, I, I have two questions because I know we're coming close to the end of this. Now. I know, but I don't want it to stop. So. I know, neither do I. Two questions. <laughs> and you, you can answer these in either way, any way, any order you want. One's more of a statement, I guess. But one is, when are you doing the Old Testament? Because I would love to see that. That's that, I think. I mean, the, 
the gospel, I think, is the right place to start. You know, the, the New oh, Testament yeah. is absolutely the right place to start because we have to see, we have to see Jesus. And now that you've shown Jesus, I think now you can go into the Old Testament and show us Jesus in the Old Testament. So I'm hoping, I'm really hoping that you bring some of these stories in the Old Testament to life through this, this First Nations version. The second question or statement is, is it lost on me that there is a connection between the Jewish faith and the Native American faith and the way they name people? <laughs> okay, good. Uh, I think I think English people have lost lost this, right? Because my name is Jonathan, which means a gift from God, right? But I don't go around telling people I am a gift from God. I tell people my name is John. But within the within the Jewish faith and within the native, the indigenous people's um, faith, their names mean so much more to them and their being. Then my name is John. My name is Luke. My name is whatever. Is there, a, there I can't miss this connection. There, there's got to be a connection here that, that we are missing. Do, do you, do you find a connection there? Absolutely. That, matter of fact, that, that one decision that, that was made to translate the meaning of names in the scriptures has been the most valuable thing that we did because the feedback from native people and non-native people, but mostly from native people has just been, you know, one, one native lady, uh, told me from Canada, she said, when I opened up and began to read, I, I, she said, I started right at the beginning and I read the genealogy and she says she wept through it. That's how meaningful it was to her to hear the meanings of the names. Traditionally, our native names had meaning. And biblically, uh, in Hebrew culture, uh, names all had meaning. And then we included also the meanings of names of places. The only thing that we did uh, to, to kind of satisfy some and, and to make it a little easier to process was we put the general English name in a small parenthesis next to is so so of course you know the famous name abraham father of many nations uh peter we call him stands on the rock you know uh andrew stands with courage you know different meanings to these names in jesus creator sets free you know because he's the one who will set us free from our bad hearts and our broken ways you know, so yes, so to, to answer your question, uh, very meaningful and, and, and very important. And, and as far as we know, this is the first time a translation into English has ever used the meanings of names. And, put and, it in- and, and that was like, for me, the first, I, I've heard the story of Abraham hundreds of times, right? And the first time I heard that, and, and this was literally the way it was told to me, it's like, you know, if we were to hear this in English and that, and Abraham would walk up to someone and, and they would, inter- they would acknowledge him and they wouldn't say Abraham, they would say father of many nations. And I'm like, that changes everything. It changes everything about the way you see Abraham. Everything, because we know the story, right? He has no children. His wife is considered barren, right? 
But God has given him this name that means father of many nations as almost a promise that you don't doubt me, you will be this, right? Prophetic name. <laughs> right. And so when I connect that to the indigenous cultures of this, of this continent, and we hear, right, we hear these names and they are so con- interconnected for me with that, that and it feels like within the Western European American version of names, we have lost this, that we, that our name means more than just the, the syllables that are said, right? You know, it would, you know, that, you know, that my name is John or Jonathan, but it means gift from God, right? And Nathaniel, which is my brother, is also a derivative of that, which means a gift from God. But right. that's how I introduce myself, John. Oh, do you? Well, I, I should start doing that. I do. It has not worked out well for me, by the way. Hi, <laughs> my name is Gift from God, and then usually that comes with a sneer or a slap. So, um, <laughs> oh my goodness. But Terry, the other side of that is I, I really, yeah. really hope that you guys are doing the Old Testament and you're okay. working on that. I'll say this. We're working right now. We've contracted with InterVarsity Press to do Psalms and Proverbs as a beginning. Yes. Okay, well, that's a good start. That, that is a good start, yes. I would imagine if it took you eight years to get through the New Testament, you were looking at, it took you five years to get through? Five years once we started it, yes. Okay, yeah. So I, I remember, um, again, going back to Eugene Peterson, there's a really cool story about him being approached by Bono from U2 at one point. They'd really connected with the message version of the Bible and they, they wanted to hire him as their chaplain. And he, first of all, didn't know who they were or care. <laughs> and... And in this little thing, I, I, in something he wrote, he said, and I was neck deep in translating Isaiah at the time. I had, you know, I had more important things to do than <laughs> be a chaplain for a rock band. But I remember, I remember reading him talk about how how difficult that was, how much more difficult it was to to go through the Hebrew and to go through, you know, the old and not not to mention it's just longer than it was to do the New Testament, and it was uh, night and day difficulty level. We think we can get Psalms and Proverbs done in two years, and we're seven months into the project. Awesome. Psalms so, and Proverbs would be phenomenal. One more, one more thing for our listeners. How can our listeners help you? Oh, that's a good question. Financially, um, anyway, how can, how can our listeners help you make this happen? Yeah, is, there, is there a way to contribute to that? Yes. Uh, you, go to our, you can go to our website, uh, firstnationsversion.com. And you can click on donate if you want to help. Uh, we do need donations. It helps us support us as we're, you know, I, I spend, uh, you know, literally two thirds of my week is, is burying my head in, in Logos Bible software and Psalms and Proverbs. And then, and then also reviewing all the suggestions coming from our, our translation council. After I do the, the main, uh, the first draft, they follow up and stuff. And so, yeah, if you want to support it, support it with prayer, good thoughts, you know, uh, whatever, however you do. I mean, just, you know, tell, tell creator, Hey, we need more of this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. And, you know, and, and then, you know, you can help that way. Uh, and let people know about it. Share, share the website, share the Facebook. We have the Facebook page. Um, and also, uh, you know, connect with other native people. There's a great, um, just, 
recently uh, I was asked to write um, a Lenten devotional and uh, along with a whole bunch of other Native people. And that just got released this week. It's really going to be beautiful. So if you, the kind of person that does Lent, and even if you're you're not, there's the, there's some amazing uh, um, perspectives from Native people who are who are Jesus followers on here, and I can share that with you. I, I mean, yeah, it, please, yeah, give us give us that. I mean, I'm not sure we'll get. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not sure exactly when Lent is, <laughs> so I'm not going to um, pretend like Lent. Lent's starting pretty soon, Wednesday. So, yeah. Okay, so uh, yeah, yeah. If you can give us this website, I will get this out to our to our listeners even yeah. before this episode drops because I think that's something important. Yeah, uh, so, yeah. so we can either get it, off, you know, while we're recording or offline. Uh, but I would, I, I will share that absolutely. Well, I can say uh, I'm looking at the it's justiceunbound.org, and then it says with creation Lent. So okay. I'll, I'll send you the link. Yeah, uh, that's a pretty long link to. No. Okay. Yeah. No, that's yeah. cool. And we'll, uh, we'll, uh, yeah, that, I think that sounds like a, like an amazing resource. I would absolutely, um, and I'd love to see the, 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 the native perspective on Lent. Um, absolutely. I'm, yeah. That, that sounds, that sounds really incredible. So as much as I hate to do it, man. Yeah. As I much do, as yeah. I do, um, as much, and as much as I was looking forward to this conversation with you, it's exceeded those expectations. So, yep. um, just yep. from the bottom of my heart, um, thank you. Um, thank you for the work you're doing. Uh, thank you for giving of your time for to us today. Yeah, I'm just, I'm almost at a loss for words, John. <laughs> almost. No. But yeah, yeah, amazing. Yeah, I, I you know, um, I reached out to you with just basic expectations that you might acknowledge and say yes. And I, I, I am so happy you did. I'm so glad we had this conversation. This is a conversation. Nat and I, you know, as we do our, We've done this for a couple of years now. And at the end of this year, you know, we had talked about the two groups of people we wanted to reach out to. And we've done a lot of, we, we've reached out to a lot of white Christians. We wanted to reach out to, uh, indigenous cultures and we want to reach out to other religions. And so just reaching out to you and you saying yes and being willing to come onto this podcast yeah, and two people you've never met. Yeah. Um, thank you for that. Is, is, um, Beyond, beyond great. I, I have no words for how, how humbled and honored I am that you would you be willing to come talk to us. Well, in, in Ojibwe, we say miigwech, thank you for listening. All right. And now we're going to record that and use it as our tagline for the podcast. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. We won't do that. I'm just kidding. All right. Hey, um, we'll, uh, like I said, we'll connect to all your stuff on uh, on the sh- in, in our show notes and everything. And we will do our very, very best to promote the work. So again, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for hanging out. We appreciate it. Thank you for listening to This Is Not Church. Be sure to rate and review the podcast on your platform of choice. If you would like to partner with us, visit patreon.com slash thisisnotchurch, where you will receive exclusive content such as early access to episodes, videos of upcoming episodes, and live Q&A sessions. Be sure to check out our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter and Instagram. All the links are in the show notes. We'll be back soon with another episode.